Welcome to the Yours in Marketing podcast. On this episode, we speak with Tim Solo, the Chief Marketing Officer and Product Advisor at Ahrefs. This episode of the Yours in Marketing podcast was really special because I was able to speak with Tim Solo, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Ahrefs. Now, if you don't know what Ahrefs is, it is one of the, if not the best, SEO tools out there. It can help you find what kind of content to write, what keywords you should rank for, how many links you have, how authoritative your site is. It does it all. It's very intuitive. It's really simple to use, and yet it's so powerful. Speaking with Tim was a pure delight because, first of all, he's a great guy, but he's also so knowledgeable about SEO and marketing in general. So we talked about the future of SEO. We talked about how B2B leaders can leverage SEO to grow their businesses. We also talk about his switch from BloggerJet, which was the blog that he was running, to going to Hrefs and moving from the Ukraine to Singapore. Really interesting story and overall a fantastic guy and a powerhouse in SEO. He's a great Twitter follow. He's an even better person. I highly recommend this. So here's what you're going to get from this episode. We start really heavy on SEO, obviously, and how you can leverage it as a competitive advantage for your business. Whether you're a small business owner, a B2B leader, a marketer, you're just starting your career, this really dives deep into how to use SEO effectively for business, plain and simple. We're also going to talk about career changes and how to go from running your own blog to becoming a CMO and what that looks like. We're also going to talk about the future of SEO. So stick around. You're going to learn a lot about SEO from one of the most brilliant minds out there. Without any further ado, here is the interview with Tim Solo. Well, hey, how are you doing? It's morning there, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, 9.40. So like I'm, <laughs> I, I slept well. Uh, rejuvenated and stuff. Is it Friday there? Yes, yes, yes. You're ahead. You're ahead of us. Okay, yeah. So like, it's six forty p.m. here in California. So it's like, I've never done an interview like internationally. I'm usually all in the United States. So this is cool. Thanks a lot for accommodating. Thank you because I'm absolutely stoked to talk to you. I listened to your your most recent podcast when you met with Pat Flynn. Yeah. On the Smart Passive Income, that was really cool. I'm an SEO as well. We kind of have the same background. You're obviously, uh, <laughs> you're a notch above me for sure. So I'm really excited to talk to you. But just listening to that podcast and having you simplify SEO was really cool for me because sometimes it's just when you're doing client work, you just get so into it that you forget to take it back to the basics. And so it's nice to have that reminder, especially coming from somebody that's as technically savvy as you to hear how important it is to simplify. I don't consider myself technically savvy, to be honest. So really, well, it's so like all, all your posts and stuff that just, they come across as technical. It's like my first question for you would be, do you, for your personality, do you consider yourself to be more creative then than technical? Uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, 100% more creative. Like back in school, I was one of the best in math, physics, chemistry, and all that stuff. But over time, I didn't go the development and programming route. Uh, I did go the marketing route. So I think uh, I developed the neurological uh, things in my brain that help me with creative stuff. And they don't do that much of uh, like technical things. So whenever I publish all sorts of research on HRF's blog, it's actually my ideas of what I want to study and how. But then we have a data science team. We have amazing developers who actually do the job. So it's not me uh, doing all the research. I'm just the guy who is creating <laughs> those ideas. Yeah. On your blog, um, you mentioned that kind of your motto about content is don't write about marketing strategies that you've heard some from somebody else. You should write about things that you've personally tried. Yeah, and I really like that because it's it's way too easy to just take what Tim said from Hrefs and then copy and paste. And, you know, it's like it's great to share other people's thoughts. But at the same time, what are you testing? And that's something that I think I, I could definitely do a better job of as well. But what's your process for that? Like when you're looking at something that you want to test, how do you even find that idea to begin with? And then take me through your process of how you actually go about testing it. To be honest, I don't think uh, we have like any checklist or outline process. Usually, whenever we try to toggle a topic that we want to rank for, uh, it is SEO related because obviously we want to squeeze mentions of our tools there and promote ourselves and our content. So whenever we're writing an article about something, for example, link building or broken link building specifically, usually what like 
99% of people uh, or bloggers would do is they would write either their thoughts, opinions, like how they think broken link building should work, uh, or how they seen others do broken link building. But whenever we do give some kind of advice, I usually tell my team uh, or I do it myself, we actually want to perform an experiment. So if we talk about broken link building, we want to build some of our own broken links and tell people, here's how many emails we've sent, here's how many opportunities we were able to find, here's how we reached out to people, here's how many of them replied, and here's how many link links we got as a result. So quite often we are being like 100% honest with our results and we say, yeah, broken link building is like a high top strategy, everyone is talking about it, but at the end of the day, in our own experience, we acquired like 1% of links from all the opportunities we had. So you should like lower your expectations and uh, don't blame us for like doing broken link building and figuring out that <laughs> you struggle to get those links. Yeah, you will get a few, but not that many. Uh, and this applies to pretty much every piece of advice that we're giving on our blog. Another interesting article is that uh, we recently wrote about outsourcing content, how to work with outsourced writers, where to hire them, etc., etc. Again, we could just go from our opinions or how we think it should work like in our i don't know imaginary world or something <laughs> but we actually went and found uh, different websites different platforms where you can hire writers we posted a job ad we received a lot of applicants we vetted them and we we have created like a table a spreadsheet with our results so on upwork you can get this many uh, applicants and the quality is this like according to our standards the quality is this uh, on pro blogger you get this and that so Whenever we create content, we don't just express our own opinions or thoughts or whatever. We actually try to do stuff and give people the exact experiments, the exact data, the exact numbers uh, of how it went for us. Another great example that I often reference is everyone can write an article about like unhealthy food and McDonald's being unhealthy. But there was a guy who actually ate in McDonald's for 30 days, like exclusively in McDonald's. And his article went, I think he published it uh, either on BuzzFeed or somewhere like New York Times, like some super popular publication. And this article went viral. It was trending on Twitter. It was trending on Reddit. It was everywhere because the guy actually did something and he he has proven he he measured his weight. He he went to doctor to measure his blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he actually ate in McDonald's for 30 days. This is what many people will do. And this is how you create great content. Don't just say things do things and talk about your own experience. For business leaders that are listening to this podcast, if they're looking for kind of a revamp of their current content strategy, you'd offer that the best way to really produce effective content is basically to go out and actually do something instead of just writing about things that everybody else is already talking about. One philosophy that that I'm trying to promote right now is that Whenever you want to create content uh, for your company, for your business that will uh, have business value for you and not just like arbitrary traffic or whatever, or like, like number of published articles per week, the person who would be creating your content should be the most qualified person in your entire company. So usually what people do, like, for example, I have a construction company, like I build buildings or whatever, and I would hire someone on Upwork who has experience in writing about pets, parenting, etc., uh, etc., et but like zero experience in construction. And what the, this person would do, they would go research some other articles, maybe read some books if you're lucky and that's a responsible person, and they will start writing a content about construction. While as a business owner, I am the one having a ton of unique experience, a ton of unique examples of how I was building those buildings, of how I was like making those contracts, which roadblocks did I face, et cetera, et cetera. So it is me who should be writing that content. So a lot of people use a workaround and they hire the so-called editor or ghostwriter, a person who is experienced in interviewing people and kind of getting the content out of the people. Because if I'm good at construction, then they know all the bells and whistles. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily good at structuring my thoughts and finding a way to write a decent article with a good headline, with a good intro, uh, logical instruction, et cetera, et cetera. But I can hire a person who can effectively get that information out of me, like in the course of a few interviews and create amazing content that would be still 
the byline would be the the author would be me because it's all my content but it was structured by an editor it was structured structured by someone else and here at hrefs we are a perfect example of having the most qualified person create content because for the larger part of uh, me being the hrefs chief marketing officer i was creating a lot of content and i was participating almost in every single article that was published on our blog even if it didn't have my name on it I was trying to help my coworkers to create amazing content. I was giving them my perspective, uh, my thoughts, telling them how to run experiments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, unless the most qualified person in your business, whatever the niche of your business is, is participating in the creation of amazing content, amazing un- unique content, uh, you won't really like uh, have an edge uh, above competition who who are just hiring copywriters to do that for you. So if I were to tell you, like, I'm a new business, I've got a little bit of traffic, but I haven't really started creating content yet for my site. What kind of tips would you give me if I were starting at zero for building out my blog into something that would actually have an impact? Yeah. So uh, first of all, do some keyword research because you need to know what people are searching for within your niche and make sure that the topics that you will find in the course of keyword research are something where you can plug the mentions of your business. So here at Hrefs, in our content team, uh, in our content roadmap, we have a score called business potential. So what it is, it's it's a simple score from zero to three, and we grade every topic that we are considering to write about. So business potential of three means that the topic that you're covering, your tool, your product or service is an irreplaceable solution within the topic. So whenever people will search for that in Google, for example, how to lose weight, uh, and you have uh, like uh, a magic supplement, amazing uh, exercise course or whatever, and like it's better than anything else, and they won't be able to lose weight without it. I think that that would be actually a diet because dieting is the most essential thing for losing weight. But I'm not an expert. Anyway, so if your thing is absolutely essential, it is irreplaceable. It is business potential of three. Business potential of two. It means that. Your thing is kind of helpful, but it's not essential in any way. So I just discussed supplements. Supplements are helpful, but if you're overeating, if you're going to McDonald's every day, you're not going to lose weight. So that's business potential too. Business potential of one, it means that you can mention your product within the topic, but it's not essential in any way. And the chances that people will be interested to buy it are slim. So first, people are will be super interested to research uh, a nice diet if they're looking to lose weight they will be interested in supplements they will take them to add to their diet but if you're selling kettlebells you can mention kettlebells that kettlebell is a nice thing and you can do a lot of exercises and many of them will help you lose weight but it's not as essential as dieting or like some interesting supplements some interesting chemistry that helps you lose weight And business potential of zero means that there's no way to even mention your business within the article. So this is what we're doing. Whenever we do keyword research and we find uh, different topics, some of them has huge search traffic potential. Some of them has medium search traffic potential. We always add the business potential score. And sometimes we might ignore topics that promise us a lot of traffic if we see that the business potential of one. So we can mention our tool. We can mention HFs. But the chances that people will be interested to try it out are slim because the actual article gives them other solutions to their problem. So these are the two most essential things uh, for researching the kind of content that you should be publishing. And then once you know which topics can bring you traffic while also having a lot of business potential for your website, for your business, you should, as a business owner, you should participate in creating that content or you should involve knowledgeable people in your company to help copywriters, to help editors, to create that content that would be unique to your business, that would be unique to your experience. And oftentimes, if you really want to take uh, it a step further, you will have to allocate a little bit of your business resources to running some kind of experiments, to trying out things that you could write about. This is something we're doing at Ahrefs. We're sometimes running some data studies and we're only running those data studies not because they help us improve our tools some way, improve our business in some way, but because they help us create unique content that attracts attention of people, that attracts backlinks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's basically the process we are following, and that's something that I advise to business owners if they really want to create the kind of content that will bring customers and sales to their business 
uh, and not just arbitrary traffic numbers. Yeah. So you're practicing what you preach. And I followed the Ahrefs blog for probably four years now. I mean, it's been a while. Probably a year after I got into SEO, really, I started like going heavy on reading Backlinko and Ahrefs and Moz. So it's one of the top resources. So if anybody's listening that hasn't looked at the Ahrefs blog yet, you should check it out because it, it ranges from really simple stuff like learning the basics of SEO, but then also it spans to highly technical things that you probably wouldn't be able to figure out by yourself. It's a really cool resource. But Tim, I want to take a step back. I want to start a little bit more toward the beginning for you and kind of go through your path. So you're born in the Ukraine. And raised. <laughs> and raised. And then you just recently moved to Singapore. So yeah. you were in Ukraine for most of your life so yes. far. Yes, for like 29 years or something. In Ukraine right now, is there kind of a tech vibe to it? Are the jobs there more digital focused like they are here in America? What's it like over there? Because obviously I have no idea what Ukraine is like. I've never been there. so I think the, the tech vibe in Ukraine uh, started quite a long time ago. Because uh, in Ukraine, as well as in uh, like ex-Soviet Union, like Russia, Belarus and stuff, we have really good uh, math, like physics education. So we're raising uh, kids with uh, a lot of like brain circuitry around the logic, around math. If you ask a lot of like product people, a lot of SaaS companies and et cetera, et cetera, a lot of them are using web developers and developers from Ukraine. Because we really have, we have nice schools, we have nice universities, and overall, people are eager to learn and eager to tap into those technical things. And uh, one final thing is that hiring a, a developer in Ukraine, it is much cheaper than hiring a developer in the United States. It's like levels cheaper. So this is why a lot of companies outsource their work to Ukraine. And this is why in Ukraine, we have a lot of talent, like tons of talent. Well, it just so happens that HRS was founded in Ukraine, right? Yes, yes. Our founder is from Ukraine. Our CTO is from Ukraine. And one of our chief developers is from Belarus. That's kind of a big coincidence that, that you're you're from Ukraine. HRS is founded there. But now you're in Singapore. So I want to talk about that transition because to my understanding, it wasn't too long ago that you actually joined forces with HRS. So how did they approach you? How did they convince you to come over to their side? And how did the move to Singapore all happen? I initially thought that it was me who landed myself uh, that opportunity because I was working on my personal blog. Uh, I was creating some content there and I was doing outreach uh, around the industry to get some links, to get some traction, to get some uh, acquaintances, etc. So I reached out to HRFs because they published uh, some article. And back in, in the days, like it was like more than four years ago, they were publishing the so-called link roundup. So here are the like best articles from the industry from last week. And I wanted to appear in that link roundup. So the way I remember it is that I reached out to HRFs uh, with my article and they got a reply from HRF CEO Dmitry. And he said that he reviewed my content and he wanted to work with me on like a few projects. But uh, later when I talked to Dmitry, he actually said that... Uh, that outreach email that I sent them, it was left without reply. He didn't see it, but he noticed me online. There was a website, um, inbound.org. Now it's a community for marketers. It's no longer live as far as I know. Uh, and there were like different discussions on different marketing topics. People were sharing links. It's kind of like Reddit, but for marketers. Uh, and there was um, AMA by uh, another Ukrainian marketer, N Smarty. She's quite famous in the industry as well. And uh, I was participating in that AMA. I was asking her questions again about being someone from Ukraine who is doing marketing for U.S. markets, who moved to U.S., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Dmitry was also, Dmitry, the founder and CEO of HRFs, was also reading her AMA. Uh, he saw me. He checked me out. He, he saw that I had published articles on Moz, that I had my own blog, that I was doing my own WordPress plugins. I was launching my own online tools. So he reached out to me, like uh, asking me if I'm interested to like do some projects with HFs. And within like just a few weeks, uh, we figured out that we are a good fit for each other uh, because I'm super passionate about marketing product and stuff. Uh, and he's super technical. So I think pretty much within three or four weeks, he invited me to come to Singapore and uh, be in charge of marketing for HFs. <laughs> that is a rapid ascent to be yeah. the CMO of HFs. So <laughs> What was going through your mind when that was all happening so quickly? Were you just like 
totally blown away that one second you're just running your own blog and kind of doing your own thing and now you're the CMO of Ahrefs? Well, to be honest, CMO is like, uh, it sounds like a fancy title, but when I came to Singapore, there were like, I think 16 people in the entire team and uh, I was the only marketing person. So I was the CMO of myself, CMO with no department. <laughs> and uh, I had to build the entire thing from scratch. And uh, right now, still, our marketing team is quite small. We have like uh, eight or 10 people. So I'm not the kind of CMO who runs like 50 people marketing team, etc. The entire team at Chefs is less than 50 people, actually. I think we're at 45 or 46 right now. But I was, yeah, I was totally blown away by the fact that uh, I had to move to Singapore, entirely change my life. Uh, because for like 29 years, I didn't live anywhere but Ukraine. So it was like a huge move to move my entire life from a country to country. How's the vibe different from Ukraine to Singapore? How does it feel different? Like everything is different. <laughs> so it's much more safe here. It's, it's much more hot here. It's much more expensive here. But it's also much more convenient here. I like Singapore better, of course. Sure. <laughs> Ukraine gets cold in the winter, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it gets cold, and uh, I I really not a big fan of how the seasons change in Ukraine from like super hot in summer to super cold in uh, winter uh, and some like uh, mud and stuff, mud and rain in between. Does that ever snow? Yeah, but not as frequently as it used to snow when I was a kid. So something is really changing in the weather. <laughs> well, I'm I'm from Utah in the United States, and it's kind of like that. It's not probably not as extreme, but the summers are a hundred plus degrees, and then the winters it's snowing the entire time, oh. and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I can relate a little bit to that. But for people listening here, it's insane that you said you had a team of like 45 people working on HRS right now. Considering how awesome that platform is, like I've been using it forever. And considering how awesome it is, how much data you have, how well designed everything is, it kind of blows my mind that there's not more people working on that project. So that <laughs> kudos to your team, because it really is like, I think it's the gold standard for SEO tools. Anybody listening to this that needs an SEO tool, if you're like deciding between SEMrush, Hrefs, whatever, Hrefs is the best in my opinion. I, I don't think it's really even close. Thank so. you. <laughs> I'm not saying that just because you're here. I like, I, I will constantly put stuff out on Twitter from Ahrefs because I really believe in it. I want to talk a little bit about the future of SEO. I know that you've talked a lot about where SEO is at and you've, you've laid out a ton of stuff in your blog and, and on Ahrefs over the course of time, as well as on your recent podcast episodes. But I kind of want to go into what it's going to look like 10 years from now or even one year from now. Like, What's the future of SEO as you see it? I don't think I'm in a position to predict the future of SEO, but overall, I think uh, Google must be working a lot on the behavioral side of things, on understanding if people like content or not, uh, and experimenting there. As much as I hate to say it, I think that the influence of links might go down a little bit, and the influence of quality content content that is written by qualified people, as I explained, the importance of that should rise. But I'm not sure how long it would take for Google to identify original content that is written by kind of opinion leaders, by people who have practice, uh, versus content that is written by copywriters. Because just recently, there was uh, an article on Search Engine Land where a guy created an experiment he ranked a lorem ipsum website uh, with just like one keyword and uh, google ate it so since google cannot identify every topic and they can still rank uh, websites with like entire lorem ipsum and with just a few like key placements of the keyword it will still take them a while quite a while to figure out how to do this but overall i can feel that they have a lot of a lot of motivation to do this because like it is causing them a lot of problem that people can rank uh, poor content with links and good content uh, is floating somewhere like uh, down the pool. Yeah, it's just like out in the ethers. You don't have any idea where the good stuff is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of what you're saying, the way that I see it right now and I think it might continue this way is it seems like Google is just really putting an emphasis on the user experience yeah. over almost anything else. And, and behavior, same kind of idea. 
just looking at does this actually relevant? Does it provide real value? And that over time is probably going to become more important than all of those technical things. The technical things won't go away, but if you just look at where the SEO in the past was, where you could kind of get away with black hat SEO for a little minute there, but now it's like, it doesn't work. Even at this point, you have to at least do something right to be able to rank. And going forward, Google's only going to get smarter. What are your thoughts on voice search? Do you think that that's a a viable thing that businesses should be optimizing for and worrying about right now? I personally feel a little bit kind of left behind like an old dinosaur because I (laughs) still don't have any like um, Alexa or Google Echo or like whatever those devices are called in my home. Uh, And I'm not really using voice search on my uh, iPhone as well, probably because uh, my first language is uh, Russian and uh, uh, sometimes yeah. whenever I say to something in English to my phone or any other device, it just cannot recognize what exactly <laughs> I'm saying. It's not as good at, at identifying accents. Now, I think Scottish people might struggle as well really? with voice search. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm not the early adopter, I would say. So uh, there was a lot of hype around chatbots. I didn't jump on that bandwagon. Uh, and recently I saw some articles uh, saying that why chatbots has flopped, why they didn't become the next hot thing. Similarly, there was a lot of hype around uh, Google Glass and it didn't go anywhere. So right now everyone is hyping up uh, voice search because like this is a hot new thing and people need to talk about something. If you're a conference speaker, if you're a thought leader, opinion leader, you have to come up with new things to talk about. You you have to like uh, generate hype. So this is why a lot of people are talking about voice search But so far, I personally, I'm not seeing it being integrated into our lives. For me, it feels awkward. Like whenever you're walking the street and you're talking to your phone, like find me this, find me that. In the same way at home, like uh, I'm pretty confident that most voice searches at home are limited to find me this video on YouTube, find me that uh, TV series on Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. So for global things, I don't think anyone would search like find me how to do SEO audits Uh, And I don't know, you will watch it on TV or something. So I don't see voice search as uh, a big thing yet. Uh, Maybe it will become, but yeah, I'm I'm not there yet. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like for most people, it's it's just easier to see how it all plays out because a lot of this stuff flops before it ever becomes relevant. It seems like it should amount to something in the future, but I agree with you. I just, I'm not sure that it's really there yet. I'm not, I have an Alexa at my house but I have no clue how it's supposed to really make my life easier. <laughs> I've used it. Like I'll use it to play Spotify or to set an alarm. Sometimes yeah. it's like, I can do that with my phone too. So it's still the applications. I think it's just kind of floating out there waiting to really be found how it's going to really apply. So it might be a little bit too early for that. If I give you a choice between all the social media platforms and you can only pick one and you can never use any of the other ones ever again, what would your ideal go-to social platform be? Whoa, I can tell you that it's definitely not LinkedIn. <laughs> 100%. And uh, it's not Instagram because Instagram is uh, mostly for people who have visual stuff or like mm-hmm. uh, fashionistas or like create like fun content that others like like comedians or stuff. Yeah, but for many businesses, actually, Instagram can do well if you sell uh, physical products that look good or, or have uh, some kind of applications that look good in a video, Instagram can be a pretty good good source. As well as working with influencers, if you want to put your product in influencers' hands, Instagram is probably the best platform. For me personally, I'm torn apart between uh, Facebook and Twitter because on Facebook, uh, you have an opportunity to create those groups. We have a pretty huge uh, Facebook community of HRF's customers on Facebook. Uh, And it is very helpful for us as a business in many ways. For example, if we're contemplating what kind of feature we should release next, I would just go to our Facebook community, launch a quick poll uh, and gather a lot of opinions. And it's not necessarily the final decision, what the group says, but it helps us understand the issue better uh, and maybe make a more educated decision or understand the consequences of what we're about to do. So Facebook groups, I like them a lot. Plus, I like a lot uh, the Facebook ads. Even though like people are complaining that Facebook is paid to play, that you don't get any organic reach. Yeah, this is true. But still, I think the for businesses, if you're running a business, 
the cost of reaching uh, thousands and thousands of people is pretty cheap compared to AdWords. AdWords is freaking so expensive. So you get so much more traffic from Facebook, even if it's not as targeted as from AdWords, because people are actually looking for specific things while on Facebook, you're kind of interrupting them with whatever you want to show them. Uh, but still, I like uh, the fact that we can run Facebook ads and expose people to whatever we want to, to expose them for. And Twitter, I like that platform because it's a nice way to stay in touch with some uh, key people from your industry, quickly exchange opinions, and maybe broadcast some of your own opinions there. So I think for businesses, Facebook is better because you can create communities, you can run ads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for personal branding and for networking, Twitter is much better because it feels more genuine. Facebook kind of sending a personal message on Facebook feels a little bit more personal and intruding uh, than tweeting at someone like, hey, what do you think about this? So this is my opinion of the social platforms. I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. It surprised me that you, you mentioned Facebook because a lot of people have just totally given up on Facebook <laughs> because of the, or, the organic reach, you know, and but me personally, obviously, I when I post things on Facebook, it just it doesn't go anywhere if you're not running ads. But Facebook groups is probably something that most people are not leveraging. But do you think it's too late to get into that and start building a group now? Or do you think it's still a good time to try and build that up? Our experience with the Facebook group is different from uh, what might be with other people, because you, you mentioned building a Facebook group, uh, which means that you want to create the community. In our case, Ahrefs has a community. So in our case, Facebook group is just a platform where our community is hanging out. So our group is closed. We don't let anyone in. We only let our customers. So once you sign up for HF's account and pay for the first month of service, we will send you a link here, like you have become a customer, so you can join our private Facebook community. And we only accept people who are paying customers to our Facebook community. So we don't need to grow it in a sense as other people when you are an independent blogger and you create a Facebook group, Facebook community about something, and you naturally want that community to grow as much as possible so that you get uh, more exposure on Facebook. Uh, that's not our case. We have our customer base. We have our audience. So we simply funnel our audience towards Facebook because we figured out that for us, Facebook is the most convenient platform. For example, before I joined HFs, I think they also tried to uh, create a community in Slack. Uh, and that failed miserably because uh, Slack has so much conversations going, so much channels, et cetera, et cetera. While with Facebook, it's much more simple. Uh, and much more convenient. So yeah, we're, we were not really trying to create any kind of community on Facebook as much as we simply use Facebook group as the platform where our existing community is hanging out. There will be a lot of business leaders listening to this that may be able to leverage the same kind of thing if they have a community that they already have, yeah. just trying to switch it over a little bit and, and invite them to join a Facebook group. I think that's a great idea because then like you mentioned, when you have those things that you want to bounce off the customer and ask them, Hey, what, what would you think about this feature? Then you're just hearing directly from people that actually care about that stuff instead of just get guessing, which again, ties back into that whole user experience thing. So it comes full circle where, whether you're on social media, paid advertising, SEO, the better you can create a customer experience that is convenient for everybody involved, the more likely you are to sell, to make more revenue, to get more leads, whatever your goal is. So I think that that's super powerful. I want to talk a little bit about your speaking engagements because you've done conferences before. Yeah. What was your first conference? Were you nervous? Did you have anything that you were really worried about for that first conference? And where was it? What'd you talk about? I don't remember my first conference. So let me talk about my first podcast interview. I was so freaking stressed that I asked for all the questions that uh, the host is going to ask me in advance. I wrote all the answers and then <laughs> we weren't doing like uh, a video call like we're doing right now with you because I was actually reading all my answers from the piece of paper and I was sweating <laughs> like hell and my, my voice was trembling. I was so stressed out during that interview. But over time, I think uh, to date, I did uh, over 30 podcast interviews, maybe even more. So I feel much more comfortable and natural and they don't stress out and they don't ask any questions in advance. So yeah, for me, the start was super intense and 
Uh, I'm not even a native speaker, so it is easy for me when I'm stressed to start forgetting words, start forgetting how to construct sentences, etc., etc. So it was super challenging. So whenever someone is listening uh, to our interview and they are native speaker and they are afraid of doing podcasts, always think about me, not a native speaker who tried to do this, <laughs> and how stressed I was to do this. So you guys are have a huge advantage. So just start doing it. It, it will get better over time. As for uh, like public speaking like uh from the stage i don't really remember where was my first speaking engagement probably it was um, a smaller crowd maybe a crowd of 30 people or something some local uh, meetup or local event and again i was stressed as hell uh, i was like going through my slides like a madman actually i think slides is a pretty nice hack to delivering a presentation because if you're afraid that you're going to forget things simply create slides for every single talking point that you want to cover. It's okay having 80 slides, but it's pretty bad having like only five slides. So if you go to, to the internet and search for advice on delivering presentations and such, now everyone will tell you that it's better to switch through sl slides fast uh, and keep people interesting than to turn on one slide and keep talking for like five to 10 minutes uh, with just one slide there. So yeah. For conferences, I think I'm still stressed whenever I go on stage. But again, not as much as, as I used to be. I think it will take me 10 or 15 more um, appearances on, on the stage to feel more comfortable with that. And another thing is that when I'm nervous on stage, I'm, I'm starting to do some like walking routine, like two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> uh, and one of my friends, uh, Matt Diggity, he's also like uh, an SEO uh, influencer, a speaker, uh, he actually took a video of me and then he posted on Twitter a looped version of me like doing that walk there and back. <laughs> and he also put a Despacito song above it. So yeah, he, he made fun of me big time. Right now, one of my objectives for like uh, speaking in real life is to be conscious of not doing that walking uh, dancing routine of two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> yeah, uh, if anyone is looking to do more speaking engagements and they're afraid, I think from my experience, it is perfectly normal to be uh, afraid. It is perfectly normal to be stressed as hell. Uh, it is perfectly no normal to forget things during presentation, to say some stupid things. Like this is the only way for you to learn and get better over time. The reason I asked that is I just wanted to have your take on thought leadership in general, because it's something that you're really obviously getting into now as the CMO of Ahrefs, you're in front of a lot more people. And so you are considered a thought leader, whether you like it or not. That's how people will look at you and see your content. So if you have any tips on people, the businesses particularly that are looking to establish that thought leader, what's the best way to present information so that you're not stating the obvious, that you're actually providing valuable information? Like, How can people really master thought leadership? I don't think that stating the obvious is such a bad thing. I think that what seems obvious to you is not obvious for a lot of people. And uh, you mentioned uh, I did podcast interview with Pat Flynn, and I talked about this super obvious, the super, super basic SEO concepts. So whenever any like a seasoned SEO uh, expert will listen to that interview, they will think that uh, Tim is a dumbass. He doesn't know shit about SEO. Like, why did Pat even invite him to that interview? Because he talked about the, the very basic things that even, like, my grandma knows. Uh, but that's the point. Like, on Twitter, there was a lot of buzz about this interview, and a lot of people were thanking me for, like, uh, bringing SEO down to earth and going from the complex technical concepts, like, I don't know, how to figure out canonical tags, how to implement schema on your website, how to optimize for mobile, etc., 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 how to optimize your crawl budget, view your logs, etc. This stuff is overwhelming to people. And they simply give up on SEO, and SEO is such a great channel. So I think of myself not as the thought leader who would push like entirely new concepts like voice search, etc., etc., to people. I think of myself as an oversimplified SEO guy. Actually, uh, when I started the YouTube channel for Hrefs, the video series that I was putting out every week were literally called Oversimplified SEO. And I was talking about the very basic concepts of SEO, and that was getting a lot of views and a lot of positive feedback. I actually think that talking about the very basic things is a nice thing to do it because there are a ton of people who still don't know the things that you know. And if you're only going to cater for like 
5% people who are more or less at your level, all the other 95% of people won't understand you. And I actually kind of experienced that issue on one of the latest uh, conference talks that I did from stage because I actually tried to bring the complexity down. I, I tried to include less like research numbers, fancy graphs, et cetera, et cetera. And they thought that when I was on stage, I was explaining everything in like in super simple way. Uh, and even though my English is not perfect, I am capable of explaining things in a very complicated way. But then after my talk, when I thought that it was like simple and obvious and a lot of people, a lot of like SEO professionals will say that Tim doesn't know hell about SEO. Uh, some guys approached me and said like, Tim, you have a nice strategy of, uh, of talking from stage. You overwhelmed people with stuff that no one understands and everyone is now thinking that you're the god of SEO. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that was like totally not my goal. I was trying to make things simple as opposed to trying to look like super knowledgeable and trying to present from stage like here's the stuff you will never understand but i will present it to you so this is the thing well it's kind of like back when you're at school and a substitute teacher comes on or whatever and says don't be afraid to ask questions because uh, somebody else might have the same question but then nobody actually <laughs> raised their hand to ask the question but once some kid does and says hey i don't understand this then all of a sudden, like everybody in the yeah. room is like relieved that they, so I, I like that. I think that that really applies to almost anything in business or in life. Just simplifying things is so much more valuable than complicating them. Because if you can do one thing simply, it's way better than trying to complicate your life with a hundred different things. You're just never going to get anywhere at all. So I, I really like that approach. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a stab at some rapid fire, quick questions. So I'll ask you a question and you answer as quickly as you possibly can. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> These are not going to be SEO related whatsoever. They're going to be kind of ridiculous questions, okay, <laughs> totally okay. non-related, just to kind of give a breather and maybe it'll, it'll be a little bit of fun. So uh, this is a rapid fire round. Here's question number one. Do you prefer texting or phone call? Texting. What's your favorite day of the week? Friday. Makes sense. <laughs> what is your favorite city in the entire world that you have not lived in? Uh, London, probably. I love London. But w would you have said Singapore if I let you pick any city? I don't know. That's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last song you listened to? Some house music. I don't even remember the name of the song. <laughs> Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world perfectly or be able to speak to animals? Every language of the world, definitely. Interesting. Okay, so what, what would be like your number one language that you'd want to learn if you could easily learn it, any language you want? Uh, right now, I, I'd love to learn Chinese. Chinese, yeah. That, I mean, that would be fantastic. That'd open a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different <laughs> avenues. Would you rather be invisible or have super strength? Ah, uh, That's a good one. Uh, super strength. Everybody says invisibility. Everybody. You're the first person ever to say super strength. <laughs> good, good on you. <laughs> Is there a book that you've read recently that it really impacted you? Whoa, many. Uh, the, the most recent one is actually Bullet Journal. There's a book and there's a mythology. There's a lot of content about it on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's a very nice book about productivity and a lot of hacks that are actually applicable. So uh, oftentimes, for example, when I read Getting Things Done, I never applied any concepts from that book. But from Bullet Journal, first of all, it uh, talks about all the same like general concepts of productivity. And secondly, it offers quite a few like small actionable things that are easy to implement and they do improve your organization, your productivity and your life. Name one app on your phone that is not pre-installed on the phone that you use all the time. Okay, uh, easy one. It's called Seconds, and it's for creating your own workouts. So whenever I get up, I have uh, like uh, my morning workout routine. And for example, I have my workout routine that is four minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, and it's all outlined in the app called Seconds. So I need to just like put on my headphones, turn play, and the app will tell me what to do based on, on what I have organized in that uh, small workout. Awesome. I'll check that one out for sure. All right, uh, Tim, I'd love to give you a chance to talk about Ahrefs for a minute, what you're working on right now, and just talk about how awesome Ahrefs is. 
Well, Ahrefs is pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't even know where to start because Ahrefs um, is such a big beast with so many different use cases and applications. So whenever I'm uh, like uh, on a podcast and uh, the host gives me an opportunity to promote Ahrefs and to give people call to action to go and sign up, like blah, blah, blah. I usually actually send people to our YouTube channel. So if you want to learn about SEO and if you want to learn about how Ahrefs will make you like a superhero, it won't give you invisibility or super strength, <laughs> but it would actually feel that you have them if you're using Ahrefs and if you're doing SEO. Just go to YouTube, search for Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S, uh, and you'll find a lot of content. Uh, a lot of that content was created by us on our YouTube channel, but a lot of other bloggers, marketers, and uh, marketing professionals have created their own videos with their own tips, overviews, and workflows of how they're using Ahrefs to achieve different things. So yeah, if you want to use SEO, if you want to get more traffic from Google to your website, I do recommend you to go to YouTube and check how people are using Ahrefs uh, because immediately you'll want to use it as well. Yeah, guys, I can't stress enough how awesome the tool Ahrefs is. Also, the YouTube channel, I follow that closely. Samo is is awesome. Yeah. I love the videos. He's the man. Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. All the resources, whether it's the the paid tool, the free videos, it's all totally worth it. Tim, are you are you still working on BloggerJet? Uh, no, I have absolutely no time for it. No time. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Tim, it was a pleasure having you on. I, I'm really thankful that we were able to connect and to bring you on the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for inviting. And now it's time to switch from a B2B mindset to P2P. That is peer-to-peer. I'm going to be interviewing people here at Directive Consulting, my peers, my colleagues, to try to find out what makes them tick, to see where they come from, what their goals are professionally, and give you an idea of what the culture is like here at Directive. It's going to be a really interesting opportunity, and maybe you'll even find people that have your exact same job title, your same position, or your same goals, or maybe they just like the same music as you. All right, we're live with Rhett Hartsfield. Rhett, how are you doing? Doing great today. It's a nice sunny day here in Irvine, California. Yeah. So you've you've been here your whole life, right? Southern uh, California. Yeah, Southern California. I was born in Newport Beach, but I was actually raised up in Santa Cruz. So spent a lot of time up uh, in the Bay Area during the whole tech bubble boom in the in the early nineties. Very nice. Yeah. Are you biased toward any particular tech company up north? Well, you know, Google runs it all, but. So that's a difficult question there. Biased. <laughs> I've been up to visit the people at Google, so definitely I uh, think they have a pretty good pulse on what things going on up there. But yeah. definitely want to check out uh, the Apple scene too. I haven't spent much time up there, so can't really speak on that behalf. Rhett is like, so he's he's a PPC guy. Hmm? He's like really innovative. I, I would that's how I describe you. He's like you you think differently about it. So let's talk about how you got your start in PPC and how you ended up at Directive. Start at PPC came to me just through a friend. Graduated college was was doing uh, operations, privatizing municipal on street contracts for the parking industry. Uh, did some really cool stuff with the city of Newport Beach that ended up working with the company that got acquired there. But uh, after that exit, it was a fun little time where I had some freedom and uh, pretty much uh, got in sync with some people doing some web development stuff and. First client I had was a addiction recovery center, which uh, we helped uh, a partner there really uh, ramp up their efforts. And within uh, like three months, I think we generated a, a solid six-figure income for them uh, off of our, our digital marketing efforts. Sweet. So, and then how does that translate into you getting to Directive? Because I know you've been several other places since then. Yeah, really. Uh, I think you know about five years ago, I started with a, another local agency there. Helped kind of build up their PPC department from the ground up, and really kind of helped them get to that that Google Global All Star like top one percent of uh, agencies in the area. Kind of outgrew my stay there. Pretty much started working with some of their big clients. A couple of those got acquired afterwards. I was directly working with uh, a couple of people. You know, it was a good little run. Um, but yeah, basically was working with our CRO director, you know, about five years ago over at, at that other agency. Saw she connected over here and was just kind of curious what was going on. I saw her kind of moving up through the ranks and uh, saw she was producing some good work. So got done working for a startup that just got acquired last year 
and I had some some time on my hands to kind of look for the next big thing and want to get back in the agency space. So I reached out. Uh, it's been a great fit, but yeah, it's it's unique because I've done primarily PPC, but I have a lot of SEO kind of right. knowledge under my belt too. But uh, definitely a diverse little portfolio. Mm. So, what's like the end goal? If I'm looking at what your dream job or how you want your ed- your career to end perfectly, what would that look like for you? Oh well, you know, I think diversification is one of those things that everyone needs to look at, especially in a changing market. I've been a homeowner for the last 10 plus years now. So real estate, I think is a good in game for, for the retirement and income properties, but realistically helping grow businesses online is something I've always been passionate about. So really continue to do that uh, with clients and companies uh, and really kind of mix the two. I think ultimately though, the next in game would be kind of something more, you know, less involved would probably be like something like real estate, but realistically uh, for the time being, it's just working with clients and growing those people individually. Yeah. Are you more of the mindset like you want to own your own thing or you want to work within a structure? Because there are definitely like people that fit into both of those. Yeah. So I've actually uh, started an LLC, had a partner, uh, did that, you know, generated revenue. Uh, It was one of those things where it's a unique balance. I think, you know, working kind of as an individual contributor role within an organization that you run yourself uh, is a little bit more stressful than kind of working with a more collaborative kind of environment. So Ultimately, I think uh, working within a big structure that has a lot of resources involved and in place, mm-hmm. kind of like what we have here at Directive, has been a, a great fit. Uh, ultimately, I think there's you know always room for some little side things, uh, but realistically, I think being involved with the people is a, is a great end game for me. I've- so, having done your own side thing before, or opening your own business, period. Mm-hmm. If somebody were to do to, wanted to start on a side hustle, say somebody here working at Directive wanted to do a little bit of web design on the side or whatever, what advice would you give them on the best way to start? Set your prices high. Uh, don't start low. Realistically, really kind of come in at uh, a value that, that really provides value to your client. I mean, I think some of the the challenges I I kind of came to was kind of early on. You know, built a, a website that was ranking for addiction recovery terms. Uh, with a partner for mine, and we built it for $1,500, and we split that, and that didn't include hosting costs. So the cost per clicks for some of these keywords we're ranking for were $200 plus a click. Uh, I think they generated about over a million dollars in four months through our, our digital efforts, but really kind of making sure you set the price right, because when you do do good work, you'll get referrals, and you don't want to be kind of set in that kind of lower echelon of, uh, of work, because really the value add is really uh, not reflecting that. Let's take a step back. Going into like, not not even your childhood, but just you know when you're growing up, even early in your career, who's somebody you really looked up to that inspired you that you're not related to? That's a good question. I have a, a family friend growing up, uh, Bruce Hatchie. He was the one that really kind of got me into computers. Uh, I think early on, he has since passed, but really I was kind of doing MS DOS, monochrome screens, and really. Uh, before really computers became big and broadband was a thing or, or really even dial up, uh, got involved in that. So I think from a, a high level, Bruce Hatchie, uh, you know, he, he, he was there kind of a family friend and, and got me involved in tech. Obviously, you know, there, there's a lot of the big people in, in the space, you know, the Steve Jobs and, and so forth. But ultimately, I think, you know, really going back to the, the core of who brought me here and, and got me kind of introduced, I would say Bruce definitely was, was that individual. Yeah. I think everybody kind of has somebody. At some point on that path, they're, they're like, you know, it kind of pushes them in that direction. If I were to take a poll right now, not asking you this question, what you think, if I went around to all your coworkers and asked them, what do you think Rhett's spirit animal is? What would they say? It would be probably a mythical creature. I would say kind of a hybrid between kind of a lion, because I, I do kind of stand up and will be very vocal. But ultimately, I think kind of uh, a hybrid of something a little bit more between a, a lion and a, a rabbit, because I think there's some docile pieces and really kind of soft edges there, but ultimately kind of having confidence in, in what you're doing and kind of showing that, uh, you know, you can kind of transpose that knowledge to the team, but ultimately trying to get to a way that that's not offensive and really well received. I agree with that assessment. I think that's, that's fair. I definitely see the confidence. I see the the tenacity. I see the intelligence, but then also they're like, I've never really seen you frustrated. So like there is that side of you that that's also pretty even keeled. So that's fair. That was a good job by you. 
what's something currently if so I'm not asking what your weakness is. I'm asking something you really want to improve upon. This can be something that you're already good at that you want to get better at, or it can be something you stink at that you want to become passable at. But what, what do you want to improve on in your life and your career or whatever it may be? I think it really comes down to building lasting relationships. There's been a lot of relationships I've created, business and, and personal that just were kind of a little more shallow. Uh, really, I think more realistically, building long relationships, deep relationships with like-minded individuals is something that I've been focusing on. I think initially I got bit by the business bug a little too hard initially. So I was very data and kind of driven by other external factors, but kind of honing down into those like qualitative metrics in a relationship. It's really been one of those things I've been focusing on over the last, uh, you know, quite some time, but one of those areas I think definitely you got to make sure you, you recenter and align with. Definitely. I agree with that. Are there any publications you follow like regularly your go-to blog, your go-to newsletter? Yeah. Uh, Hacker News, Newsy Combinator, uh, you know, really want to see who's on the bleeding edge there. Some of my friends that have gone through the accelerator programs. So, you know, Newsy Combinator, uh, really, you know, Wall Street Journal, some high touch post things, uh, you know, a lot of industry stuff, too. There's a lot of those, you know, SEM book and SEO book. And really, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, search engine journal and all these different efforts. But really, I think when it comes down to it, just kind of getting a pulse on everything is kind of hard to do now. So, that's one of the great things I like about working at the agency. You get all these different people that are following different things and they get brought up in a much streamlined manner than kind of having to focus on one piece mm-hmm. of, of kind of following and, and engagement there. Definitely. Slack makes that easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you ever see yourself going back up to the Bay? Uh, I do. And I have, I would say it's a unique challenge now because uh, it's very saturated up there. Uh, the last startup I worked for had a hybrid office uh, where we had a team of about 12 to 15 developers up there. Ultimately, it's it's a unique space. I think really people are so hyper-focused on, on one discipline or vertical. Often they get kind of narrow-sided in that, uh, which is unique. But ultimately, uh, I could see it if if the opportunity arises. But really, the, the traffic is one of the things I, I don't really want to compete with. I think really kind of the remote culture is is more of the the culture I'm starting to align with now. Definitely. How good are you at hot potato? Hot potato? I think I'm pretty good. All right. Because we're going to do some mental hot potato, the rapid fire round here. Cool. I'm going to bounce some questions off you as fast as you can possibly answer them. <laughs> Let's do this. Do you prefer texting or phone call? Phone call. Why? Text messages get misconstrued. It's hard to have sarcasm, voice inflection, really that personal connection especially now with iPhone, you see when someone's typing and they don't type, you know, I think really kind of getting that, that connection with someone, I think that's really quick and really just understanding how they're feeling on the phone. You know, it doesn't have to be even, you know, there's nonverbal on a phone too, Mm. call, which is unique. Favorite day of the week. I'm going to say Thursday. Thursday. Interesting. What's your favorite city in the United States besides any that you've lived in? Seattle. Good choice. I love Seattle too. Last song you listened to. Don't know the name, but pass. It was Ariana Grande, wasn't it? <laughs> good, good question. Yeah, whatever was on repeat uh, on my way into work from a Sirius XM. On uh... we got a Sirius XM guy over here. All right. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to speak to animals? Every language in the world. What would be your number one fun language to learn? Mandarin. That'd be a good one. That'd be cool. If you could talk to any animal, which one would it be? Probably dogs. It's the most widespread. Yeah. People have a lot of dogs. I think, you know, you get to learn a lot about the owners and it would be an interesting uh, conversation there. I'd like to talk to snakes because I think it would be interesting to hear how they feel like not having any limbs and how their life actually is because it seems like a really boring life. All right. Invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Who's your favorite Avenger? I don't know if they're adventure. Now I'm trying to figure out adventure in Marvel. So <laughs> that is a good one. I guess Thor. If he's Thor. Like- okay. All right. And uh, what's, your, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? I still have to go back to, uh, I think, either The Goonies or Pirates of Silicon Valley. I think those two different kind of areas of interest. But early on, it's been The Goonies. But uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley has really struck a chord with me. You have one piece of advice to give the listener right now. What would it be? Just do what makes you happy. Make sure you follow your heart and and don't hold back on something. Just don't want to regret something by by not making an action early on in your life or your career. 
Cool. All right. Well, that's it for the interview. Rhett, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure having Tim onto the show. Please support him by following him on Twitter at Tim Solo. That's T-I-M-S-O-U-L-O. On Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever you consume content, please follow Tim and check out Hrefs at hrefs.com, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. It's one of the best, if not the best SEO tools out there. I personally use it all the time and I love it. So please go check that out. Show some support to Tim and Hrefs. Thank you for listening to Yours in Marketing. I'm Blake Emmel. If you would please do us the favor of subscribing to the podcast if you found value in this and tell your friends, tell other B2B leaders, tell people that need to hear about this. If you have a website, if you are in marketing or out of marketing, if you just want to learn how to build your website, how to build your business online, or if you just want to learn more about interesting people in general in the B2B space, please subscribe to this podcast. You definitely will get your money's worth because it's free.